0: Have you ever had things break in production and you're not quite sure what went wrong? I remember the good old days when you had to go use things like tail and grep and then randomly click around the app to try and figure out what broke. (laughs) You don't have to do that anymore, thank heaven. All you have to do is go sign up for Airbrake and then install it in your app. Airbrake is really simple. You get a little code that you put into your config file and then you just install the gem. That's it. Really simple to set up. Then what it does is it aggregates all of the exceptions and errors that are thrown by your application so that you don't have to keep track of that anymore. It collects other information from the system as the errors occur, so parameters and things like that, depending on where the error occurs. And one thing that drove me crazy when we first started getting apps like Airbrake, doing this work, is that you would get 10,000 of the same error, and that doesn't happen anymore. Now they just aggregate it all together. You can go look at the individual errors and see where and what actually happened. But when it comes right down to it, they just let you know, hey, this error occurred 10,000 times. And then you go look at the individual ones so you can get them fixed. It's really easy to install. I already said that, but I just can't stress that enough. (laughs) You take two seconds, you get it installed, and then you're off to the races. When I'm running a business, that time that it saves me is huge. So go check them out at airbreakio slash and That'll let them know that we sent you. But seriously, just make your life easier. If you go check it out at airbrake.io slash rubyrogues, you'll get airbrake-free for 30 days, plus get 50% off the first three months on the startup plan. So go check them out. You can thank me later. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. David Richards. I think you might have said something on mute. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm coming to you live from, or semi-live, I guess. I'm at the Grand America in downtown Salt Lake City. I'm here for NGConf. So anyway, go check out devchat.tv YouTube if you want to see what we're doing here. We also have a special guest this weekend. That's Luca Guidi. Luca, do you want to say hi?
1: Hi. Thanks for having me today.
0: Yeah, no problem. Do you want to just give a brief introduction who you are? I know we've had you on the show before, but it's been a while.
1: Yeah, sure. i my name is Luca Guidi, I live in Rome, and I work remotely for a company named Diana Simple. I'm mainly known in the Ruby community because of my open source projects. One is, one was actually Redistore, and the actual one is Hanami, a full stack web framework for Ruby, which is a big challenge for me, but it's something that is taking off, actually.
2: I'm yeah, awesome. wasn't that originally named Lotus or something like that?
1: It was, it was, but uh, there was a clash with a more famous lotus one. <laughs> I said, "Okay, nobody will care about that." But then uh, I had uh, an IBM employee that posted a GitHub issue saying, "Hey, what's going on here?" And I said, "Okay, uh, let's rename the framework." And then I picked Hanami as the original name for
0: uh, for it. Isn't cool. there like a lotus pose for yoga? So.
1: Basically, they are um, Lotus, who is famous because of their uh, office. um, Yeah, Lotus Notes. Yeah, Lotus Lotus Notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And so on. But they are trying to retarget lotus as a, a web framework thing, which nobody knows about. <laughs> I just discovered that day. Uh, but uh, the point is that I've got in touch with a, a lawyer, a uh, U.S. lawyer, actually. Mm-hmm. And she told me, she, she suggested to change the name because even if they don't ever come after me in the you know swing me but there is always confusion in the software industry it's yeah. like calling a rock band the queen there is already something big happened in the rock music so she suggested to change the name i okay why not and yeah, yeah, uh,
2: that's, that's fair sorry.
0: that that makes oh, wait, sense it's a good name yeah thank we, you we should get yeah. you back on to talk about hanami because i don't think we've covered that for a while either
1: Uh, nope. Last time was a long time
0: ago. Yeah. Yep. So let's just promise everybody we'll come back to that because I think it's interesting and I don't want to shortchange either conversation by doing one or the other. You did write a blog post and that's what we're going to talk about on elapsed time with Ruby. And when I first saw the article, I'm like, Big deal, right? You know, you take the ending time and the starting time, and there's a difference. And then that, that's the first thing you have in this article is uh, starting equals time dot now. And then whatever happens in ending equals time dot now ending minus starting. And that's the lax time and immediately this is wrong. Let's see why. So do you, do you want to explain some of the problems with this? And it sounds like Dave had some experience with this as well.
1: Yes, sure. I was on, on Reddit one day and there was a, a guy looking for feedback for a gem that he wrote. It was about t- elapsed time calculation, And I said, okay, why not? Let's provide some feedback. Because I suspected that um, this gem was affected by this, this problem. Uh, so I provided the feedback and I said, okay, let's stop for a second. If a gem that's supposed to do one thing and uh, it does wrong, uh, what about the rest of the Ruby community? After a quick research over GitHub, I discovered that there are literally thousands of cases where it's done wrong, including Ruby arrays. So let's, I said, okay, let's write about this uh, this problem.
2: So the inherent concept of getting the time in a operating system on a computer, wise, they basically have a NTP server that they synchronize to. So they will go out and set their computer time to whatever the national atomic clock, one of the many servers that has the time synchronizes it every 15 minutes or whatever. Can I I
0: stop you real quick on behalf of our new people and have you just explain briefly what NTP is?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, It's a, national time protocol or something it's a external server outside of your domain or network that you are synchronizing your local computer's time to so that your computer's time is always accurate in a windows world uh, with windows networking and stuff if you have a time drift so your computer's time is different than the servers that you're trying to log into, then it's gonna actually tell you that you're not allowed to log in. So keeping your computer time in sync with some kind of common server, usually external a government NTP server, then you can all be on the same page. But the reason why I hate time on computers is because depending on the computer, type of computer, the drift can vary so let's say if you don't have any kind of external sync you have a hardware computer but then you also have a virtual machine running well on a different computer the problem is the virtual machines uh cpu clock cycles are going to be somewhat different than the actual bare bones metal computer so you're going to notice a larger time drift between the two systems. So uh, especially, you know, and I'm passionate about this area because I work for a time and attendance software product. You know, that's what I'm creating. So finding when someone clocks in and when they clock out, if your computer is the source of a time drift that is causing on one web server, you clock in at 8 a.m., then you clock out at 5 p.m., but the original server that you had clocked in on, it actually thinks it's 5.05. Well, now you have a difference in what the employee is getting paid and that's because of your system, your network or your computers. So it's a, I, I dislike time. <laughs> so that's my
1: <laughs> Yeah, and if you are measuring some uh, the, the elapsed time of an operation during a time drift, during a reset, then your calculation is completely off. So this is uh, not just about not just about the operating system of virtual machines, is also about the problems that the CPU physical problems that the CPU may have. It could be temperature, it could be air pressure, magnetic fields, the age, actually, of the, the piece of oh. hardware. So to overcome these problems, these problems, there is the NTP where you can reset time. So, but, yeah, but to put it really simple, if your CPU was... Uh, too slow, then you reset time in the future. But if it was too fast, you set back time in the past. So time doesn't move all the forwards as we may expect. And uh, to overcome this problem, there is another time clock. This uh, the the clock that in the CPU gives you the current timestamp is called wall clock. But there is another clock that's called monotonic clock, which is the subject of my article. It basically starts when an event is fired, which usually is the boot time of at uh, the boot time of your computer. So this clock is never get reset. It doesn't suffer, or suffer of time drifts and resets. So the actual math that you do after the at the end of your time-consuming operation is guaranteed to be uh, more accurate. And also, because we are talking about Ruby, uh, it's even more performant because the returning value of time now is a time object, whereas the monotonic clock returns a float, which is, more lightweight and uh, we usually do time measurement uh, around uh, time sensitive operations so it eliminates the effort the the pressure on the vm of uh, ruby makes things more lightweight
2: yeah absolutely if you can have a constant source and in this case the monotonic clock is definitely that because the elapsed time from boot it's always incrementing, but it's always constant as far as the amount of time or the counter of seconds. So even if the clock cycle isn't correct, the CPU cycle isn't correct in counting up the time, you still have a accurate difference that you're going to be able to benchmark and compare to. So yeah, I, I read the article when you posted it on Reddit and I thought it was really cool, you know, especially because of my background and what I primarily work on. Um, so it was a fun read.
3: You know, it's it's interesting um, for me. Um, we've had this problem. I work in a fintech company, and uh, we have uh, problems with uh, for our PCI compliance. We've had to shut down access. We we can only do periodic syncs, you know, with the world clock. And so, without having transparency around what time we're using. And then depending on that time for various uh, syncs that we do with other services, it's created a lot of problems. So having a monotonic time that we can count on and then transparently making any different adjustments if needed allows us to either replay time and and, and make sure all of our records are fitting and, and we're syncing well with other services. So it just seems like that was, at least in our experience, my experience was that blindness around time, not paying attention to time, time zones, time drift, uh, <laughs> all the expectations around time, and not building a system around how to fix it or how to, to see what I'm using and then adjust to that, that has caused problems. It's, um, it's created problems for customers and problems with some of our syncs with services. It's been a headache. <laughs>
1: Yeah, from the article I linked, um, there is a Wikipedia web page where there are listed historical major incidents in computer history because of time. Uh, The most classic one is leap seconds. They are not very well handled by CPUs or one regarding monotonic versus time now, uh, which causes an incident for Cloudflare. Uh, that lasted for less than an, or one hour, but it was a major uh, headache for, the, uh, for them just because of time calculation.
2: Yeah. So it seems like almost my entire programming life, I've been having to deal with time crap. So back in 1999, I, w- I was doing some... Microsoft development work for a contractor that we had to update a lot of government databases to be Y two K compliant because they were all storing data in two digit numbers. I'm like, okay, well this this is a big problem, and they were using a very old antiquated system that you couldn't just change it to a four four uh, character date. So um, that was then. You no, know, Now I work on time and attendance stuff, so tracking employees' times. And I'm sure before I die at some point, I'm going to have to deal with the Unix time apocalypse, which is the epoch number and for those who don't know the epoch numbers, that is the number of seconds that, that has elapsed since January 1st, 1970 UTC time. So it's this big long string number and a lot of times it's fun to see that number count up and find patterns and stuff and celebrate that particular second. But in January 19, 2038 at 3.1407 seconds GMT time, we're going to have a 32-bit overflow and it's going to be the year 2038 problem. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen to computers and Linux computers when that comes
0: around. Why 2K38?
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always the things we don't pay attention to, to me anyway. Like, okay, yeah, we'll think about business logic. We'll think about user experience. We'll think about internal resources, and architecture and platforms. That's what we think about. But it's stuff like time and floats and integers. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. it comes down to take to it for granted. Yeah. It's like, it's just supposed to work, isn't it? No, it's supposed to be designed. It's supposed to be architect. Somebody's supposed to be in charge. Somebody's got to think for a minute and say, wait a minute. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> Which, unfortunately, isn't me often enough. <laughs> this is me looking at me and thinking, oh, my goodness, how many times have I built a system just assuming that yeah, I'm going to have time. And then we start working in multiple zones or then we start seeing drift. And yeah, Yeah. I I need to think about that for a second.
2: You know, and this subject is really interesting because today is the first day of RailsConf and I was just watching uh, DHH's keynote and he was saying like, look at all this progress we have made in life with, uh, now we don't have to worry about having to write uh, the SQL statements and stuff. Now we have this awesome ORM that will, you know, kind of do all of that stuff in the background for us. You know, this is progress. We don't have to worry about this kind of stuff. But then if no one worries about it, then what's going to happen in 2038 where we've lost the intricate details of what's going on behind the scenes? And now we're just focused on such a high level development aspect of things that we're going to start running into these problems that it's going to be too late when they occur if they weren't proactively prevented.
0: Well the other thing is is most people like you said are working at such a high level that when it breaks we don't know what to do.
2: Yeah. 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 And we never dug deep down like you know look at just going in and finding that function that you can get the actual monatomic time. I'm like that's really cool. I did not know that existed. Uh, in Ruby to have that kind of API call to get that number. And so um, a question that I have for you is how did you come about this conclusion or how did you come about finding that function? So when, when you had this kind of problem, you know, did you just know right away that that function existed or did you have to kind of like dig down and try to find a workaround? What was your process with it?
1: I already knew about that function but and uh, knew the problem because I use also Go to my work mm-hmm. so i'm also a good developer and there is more attention over there to this kind of engineering problems let's say so i discovered about monotonic clocks about after uh, the Cloudflare. Uh, outage that I was mentioning before um, so I knew about that and I said okay what's uh, what's up in Ruby world and then I discovered this uh, function in uh, Ruby world so but during the writing of my article I had to dig down inside the actual Ruby code that uh, provides that function that's the C code to see which system calls uh, was uh, doing and uh, yeah then I discovered that the, the low-level stuff that talks to to the operating system and that is uh, fascinating it's a bit overwhelming but it's fa- definitely fascinating
2: yeah it's really cool you
3: know, I, I love how exposure to other languages or systems like go you know whenever we're exposed to something else we have the same set of problems we always had but we have a new set of problems and a new set of solutions just freshens our mind like wakens us up to oh yeah i haven't been thinking about this for a long time or oh i wonder how we do this one in ruby (laughs) and then we can come back around and and have a better idea
1: for by the same token we were talking about uh, high level systems ruby is a high level language we all know and there are discussions going on in uh, go forums, newsletters that they don't exist at all in Ruby. We don't have buffers in Ruby. I mean, because everything at the end of the day is a string. We use always a string and that has uh, uh, the bright side of it is that is productivity and Ruby is a perfect language for a person who wants to pick to start their journey to uh, into computer programming but on the downside is that when it comes down to hardcore problems, let's say, it's more complicated to, to get around. And there are cases in Ruby world and Ruby ecosystem where that can be compared to this time calculation uh, problem, basically.
0: I have to say, though, that's one of the things that I love about Ruby is that it's flexible and high level enough to where you can be extremely productive in it. But yeah, it is problematic when you absolutely have to rely on something and it doesn't completely solve that. or It doesn't completely address that. Or it has some you know, in the case of Time Drift that you may or may not be able to account for. Oh, it must have been the Wi-Fi. What I said was that I really love the fact that Ruby is super high level. And and so, like you said, you know, it's it's terrific for productivity. But yeah, you run into one of these issues that you have to rely on it being extremely accurate. And in this case, it just doesn't quite provide that in the way that you expect.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, some of the dangers of people coming to Ruby as a first language and they never explore other languages is that they lose a lot of the insight of type safety and a lot of the things with having to go through some of the problems and what makes Ruby great and what makes the Rails framework. And I checked out uh, Hamani a few times and what makes all of the Ruby frameworks really great. So I think that, not that I'm encouraging you to go off and learn .NET or something, but give it a shot, you know, have a look at it and see how crappy it is. So you can have a deeper appreciation for Ruby and you can also learn some stuff about Ruby and rails and other frameworks just from the painstakes that you've had with other frameworks like uh, Java spring and that kind of stuff.
3: One thing too, that I've, I've, I've done, I like that because, you know, getting integrated with different systems really teaches us, but, uh, one thing I've noticed that when it's really, really critical, one tool I can use is I can, I can, I can break the problem down. I think about it, breaking it down horizontally. So let's say I, I've got to rely on time, and I don't know. So let's use monotonic time, and let's put it on a queue or in a in, in in a database somewhere. This is this is something I can come back and revisit. It's it's replayable and it's transparent, and therefore I can be clear and thorough. And so I can just slow it down and, and, and show the steps. Here's the event, here's what I had. So sometimes the, the habit for me in Rails or Ruby is like, okay, well here's a quick method and it'll get the job done. And then if it's critical though, or I'm not sure, or I've got to make adjustments, and maybe it's not always just time, but maybe it's just some other piece of business logic. you know, storing it at least temporarily, so that I can replay it and fix it or say, you know, hey, this is the code that I used to do this critical thing that my customer depends on. So in those, in those bottleneck areas where uh, business logic, if it goes wrong, things go really, really wrong, you know, where a dependency on something like time can really mess me up. I can just store the steps, come back and do it. And then I can at least know that over time, it's working, it's testable, it's transparent um so I mean, that's just been a habit of mine is that where i get nervous that's where i slow it down and i and i add transparency somehow and I, you know i could throw that on a, on a queue i could throw that into something like um, kafka so it's um, replayable i can see what i was doing you know like oh i was working from this data and i use this time i produce this result and uh, come back later and say hey there is an issue here i made assumptions and so um Anyway, that's that might be a, an easy way to, like, if I had a, a large monotonic Rails app that does all the things and it's been around for years and nobody 100% understands it anymore, but there's an area that we're, we're nervous that we can just add a couple of steps to add some transparency into that piece and then fix things like time or fix things like conversions or, you know, whatever the error is or whatever the situation could be.
2: Yeah, And uh, to anyone who's wondering, when you're storing time in a database, always sort in UTC. It doesn't matter what your time zone is, doesn't matter, sort in UTC, because that is the universally accepted way to store a day time stamp in a database. And you're going to save yourself a lot of headaches down the road.
0: I have a story.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> and it's a story that affects everybody listening to the show so uh, you may notice that uh, some episodes get released up to a week late and it's something that I'm probably going to be working on this week um, so today I'm doing interviews with the speakers at ngconf which is the angular conference but tomorrow I have most of the day free uh, they're doing a fair day so I'll do some of that stuff but I'm probably going to work on fixing this particular issue and the issue is is that the dates are being stored in the database as I think they're being stored as UTC but then the date to trigger my, uh, what do you call them? Anyway, there's, there's a discrepancy between the date that the the episodes get released on the podcast feed and the time that gets, that kicks off the job that updates the RSS feed. And so since we're UTC plus six, it's kicking off the job at local time at UTC instead of local time at mountain time. And so those episodes aren't scheduled to be released. And so they don't wind up in the feed. And so when we release the next week's episode, so next Tuesday rolls around, we put up a new episode of Ruby Rogues. Then that feed gets updated and it goes, oh, look, an episode. And then the Ruby Rogues episode doesn't go out on the master Ruby feed. Instead, the um, my Ruby story from the week before gets released on it. And so, yeah, that, that time zone stuff has really messed things up for me. in in a very recent way and it was like I had a few people tell me, oh, these aren't getting released. And it was like, oh, let me look at that. And yeah, that's what it turned out to be. But this was just a week or so ago.
2: So you know how they say that your development environment should try to closely mimic your production environment as much as possible. And that is uh, with your Ruby version, your database version, all of that good, uh, good stuff, you should try to match as much as possible. Well, your server should be set to UTC time. You shouldn't have it to your local time zone. So your development computer is in mountain time, eastern time, or some other time zone. Set your computer time to UTC and you will most likely uncover a lot of defects that you just never knew existed. So I usually, I wrote a script that will swap my computer's time between my local time zone and UTC time. Now I can just flip-flop them back and forth as I need.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One other thing just to throw in there is that I've been preaching automation for the last probably couple of months. Write a chef, you know, chef solo or chef, uh, chef, you can set up a chef server or Pepa or whatever you want, right, Ansible. But set up something that actually reaches out to all of your servers and make sure that they're all set to use TC. And that way you can just assume that they're running the right way, the way you expect them to. Because I never know. I set up a machine on DigitalOcean or... Uh, AWS or something else, and I I can never remember if it's set to local time or not. When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control, or Docker containers, who doesn't love that? Encrypted disks and VPNs. Plus they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files. And you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code rubyrogues2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is rubyrogues2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com careers to see their available positions.
1: I mean, personally, I cannot reset my, my computer to UDC. Otherwise, I will miss any notification and any meeting happening. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. yeah.
3: One, one practice I have not embraced yet, but I, I, I swear it comes up every day for me. I do it sometimes, and that's just with containers you know, to run VirtualBox. I've got VMware on my machine and to do my development in a container. I think that's beautiful because it, it reduces the, the difference between a deployed production app and the, the development environment. And then it's really easy to set UTC time inside of a container or, you know, have a, an environment that I can work in. So that's definitely a practice. That's something for me to improve in my in my development workflow is, is finding a way to, to actually do that. In fact, if anybody has any recommendations of people that do that well, or tutorials or books, I'm open, because that's that seriously bugs me every day.
1: Oh, well, uh, we tried DNS Simple, but we have a lot of internal and external uh, moving parts. We have the DNS servers, which are written in Erlang, and that a uh, dozen of uh, services. And also we have external registry that cannot be reproduced on A local computer. That means the registry is the entity when you want to buy, I don't know, example.com. It says, okay, it's taken or it's free. Here's your domain. Give me ten bucks, for instance. That is the registry, which is uh, really hard to have a local version of it running on your machine because it's a complex system. Uh, So we try to isolate, but still the process is long, is far from us, and also. Personally, I tried uh, Docker several times, uh, but it's just not for me yet. I'm not feel productive. Uh, It takes a lot to start tests, to start everything, and it doesn't work for me. So I got back to bare metal and uh, uh, where I'm more productive. So no suggestions. I'm
3: sorry. Mm. (laughs) It's tough. I, I. For me, my experience usually is the same. I I get it up and running in a container and I'm happy. And then something small happens and I have a deliverable. And so I go back to bare metal. (laughs) And so I keep falling back away from good habits. Like, yeah, I don't quite have um, enough of the um, the confidence, I guess, you know, when it's time to. And it's stuff like that. It's stuff like my, my text editor or my containers or something in my development workflow that really just has to be. 100% smooth or else I can't concentrate. So I've I've got to break that habit, find a way if I can. Um, And and the other thing I like about that, though, too, is that the external dependencies that sometimes I just can't work around. Sometimes I I start to solve the problem differently. It's like, oh, you know, I really need an abstraction here or, oh, I can do all you know, I do 95% of my job this way and then I can switch back to bare metal when I'm doing that way. Maybe maybe not in all cases, but it's just a it's an opportunity for me to think about how am I thinking? <laughs> you know, am I, am I just doing it the way I've always done it or is there a better way?
2: Yeah, back in the day when before I could afford a Mac computer to do my development on, I was on Windows because, you know, they're cheaper and that's what I had. And so my main uh, workflow for development was I had a virtual box stood up that had a ubuntu server running on it and that's where my interpreter lived so ruby was within the virtual server and so was mysql redis everything else was kind of contained in there and you know if this is you know now 2018 you can use docker containers to do those and have each one in their own little separate silo but then i would just have a shared folder within the main ruby interpreter vm And that shared folder is where all of my code lived, my projects. And then from my bare metal machine that was running that Docker instance, I would just create a map to that network drive. And I think Docker has easier ways to do that, where you can actually map it to a virtual folder so you don't have to do anything or assembly. And then I used my bare metal editor to do all my programming, saved it, saved it of like over the network but builds like local in that own environment
0: yeah you can set up uh, mounted you can mount folders as uh basically virtual folders type things yeah. in your Docker file
1: yeah but still it was slow for us it took uh, almost a minute to start the test and usually mm-hmm. it, it takes um, a couple of seconds so it yeah. was totally unusable for us so i had to roll back those uh, those uh, experiments
2: yeah, and you there's always a trade-off. So bare metal is always going to be the fastest and uh if you need speed, the way to go. But you lose the flexibility of having multiple system interpreters of Ruby or whatever if you need to work on multiple applications and stuff. So there's a give and take and depending on the business need, and you know, if you're if you are having to support several different Uh, versions of SQL uh, or MySQL, Postgres, or whatever, because you're working on multiple projects, then having something like a containerized development environment is your only solution because that's what the business need is. But yeah, for for the most part, I just use bare metal. I don't worry about the um, whole container world just because I haven't found it actually increase my productivity.
0: Yeah. There are also trade-offs for consistency and cost. But again, yeah. I mean, every, everybody has different concerns. So, you know, to preach one is the one right way I think is a little bit short-sighted because somebody's going to have a need for, you know, the the critical bare metal implementation and other people are going to crave the, the flexibility and consistency and just, you know, our ability to kill and spin back up a Docker container. And so you just, you know, there, there, there's a bit of give and take there, but yeah, it makes sense that there are these solutions out there. And I think a lot of these are going to get easier too. You know, as I dig more into Docker, I'm finding some ways that I can automate a lot of that stuff so that it sets up my Docker container and I don't have to do anything. Or if I just need a quick and dirty Redis or uh Postgres or something else, again, you know, I just spin up a container and it does its thing. So yeah, yeah I mean, there, there, are, there's a lot to be said both ways and it really just, comes down to what you care about
2: and you know with the way technology has shifted with uh, Docker and Kubernetes if that's how you say it and all that stuff you can have that piped right into your CI CD so you have your CI which is your continuous integration run all of your unit testing and stuff and then it needs to be quote QA or it needs to have some kind of regression test before you put it to production. So with your continuous integration tool, you can have that tap into Kubernetes that will build out a entire sandboxed environment just like it would be on production. So you can do, go in and do all your regression testing. And once all of that passes, you can then tell it to trigger the continuous deployment, which would then actually go out and deploy the application either automatically or on a schedule or manually.
3: I love that. I love how the integration can make things really powerful, and 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 also if it pushes it off my laptop into say somebody else's server, <laughs> what we call the cloud, right? <laughs> then uh, <laughs> then I can I can keep my workflow because I, I like that. You know, we, we have different problems whether it's consistency and flexibility or it's just personal productivity. But but I also like the idea that until I I as a developer can see that personal productivity go up. I'm not likely to do it, so like when I really mess up and I, and I didn't see time or I didn't see you know uh, issues that exist in production that that don't exist on my laptop then um, then 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 I don't necessarily see the benefit of it um, but like like you said we we adjust based on the the problems we're facing um, I just keep facing the kinds of problems where <laughs> for me, if I had a a more reliable workflow if i if I could trust myself a little bit better with what doctor I think i'd and increase
0: my productivity. I, I kind of want to push back to the original topic just for a minute. You know, Luca, your article was really interesting. One thing I was curious about is where do you run into this with DN dn Simple or DNS Simple? Because it seems like it's just serving up domain names and, and the time, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's that much of a factor. So where are you running into this there?
1: So I usually pick uh, topics for stuff that I work on, worked on in the recent past. It means uh, I develop a project, uh, I observe it in production to work for real, and then I clean up a little bit the code and extract it, polish it and share with the with the community. It not necessarily be something that is related to the DNS or certificates. It's something it could be just uh, you know a software solution. It could be a design, okay? The, this time was uh, was different because um, my goal in general is to make the reader air quotes smarter after three minutes, even if it's just a small uh, tip and trick, uh, but it's something that ha- they have to learn after reading uh, any blog post. So this time I decided to pick a different topic because I ran into a case where a person uh, overread it was looking for feedback for a time elapsed calculation gem. And I dig inside the code because I suspected that the calculation was not correct because I knew about monotonic clock and all those problems that we discussed. So I said, okay, let's see what about the rest of the Ruby community and Ruby ecosystem. And I did a quick research over GitHub and I found literally uh, thousands of cases where uh, elapsed time is done with the time now, which again is wrong. Uh, So I said okay, let's do something really informative it's really basic, as we said really low-level stuff but it's something that probably may sound new to Ruby developers and it turned out I was right in uh, picking this topic so not really related to DNS but uh, to Ruby world.
2: Yeah, and I think this uh, you know, getting the monatomic time works great if you have just one CPU or one computer that you are booting with and doing the elapsed time. But if this is going behind a load balancer and it's part of a web framework or something like that, you could run into troubles if the time starts on one computer and then it's getting triggered to end on another computer because they would have two different monatomic times because they were booted at different times. So you do want to be careful about that.
1: Yeah, for sure, distributed systems are uh, complex, um, even more complex than the difference between wall clock and monotonic clock. That is just, you know, uh, some stuff that uh, is somehow basic. But again, uh, it appears that the Ruby ecosystem doesn't know about about the difference between these two clocks. So. Uh, it's really about just a single program and then, of course, you can expand to this, this problem to distributed system, which are more complex. But again, let's focus on really basics of the, of the language, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: Well, we kind of ranged all over the place, but it was really, really interesting. Do you want to just give us a quick update on what's going on with Hanami these days and then we'll get to some picks?
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We uh, recently released 1.2 with uh, new stuff, uh, early hints, uh, this main one, which is something that I dig. Uh, three years ago and waited for the Ruby uh, community, mainly Rack, to be able to, to do that that kind of stuff that is from HTTP2. And the big news on Hanami is that we are joining the forces with uh, ROM and the DRY projects to ship to work together on Hanami 2.0, ROM 5, and DRY 1.0. So in the near future, we will announce the plan of how we will reach the next major version of those uh, libraries. And uh, yeah, exciting times. We are having the intense and uh, internal discussions on the direction we're to take. But the bottom line is that we want to Uh, converge our libraries in the way that we want to write them and uh, the way that we want to propose how to write uh, Ruby web apps uh, to the Ruby community so yeah a lot of stuff is going on and we will announce uh, the the plan
0: of action soon cool we'll definitely get you back to talk about that more let's go ahead and do some picks Hey, when it comes to health, you probably have some of the same disqualifications that I do. You sit all day, you run a busy life, and when you do make it to the gym, the only thing you're really qualified to do is turn the treadmill on. I was an athlete in high school, and so I could have thrown swimming in the mix, but that was about it. And I didn't really know what to do when I decided that I needed to get my health under control, especially since I have type 2 diabetes and I want to be around for my kids. So I contacted my friend JC over at DevLifts, and DevLifts, they did me a huge huge, huge favor. Sure, it's a paid service, but what they did is they gave me a workout program. They also gave me some eating guidelines, and they have a Slack room where I can go and I can ask questions, and they give weekly challenges on things that I need to do differently. I really, really love it. So if you're looking for a way to get into shape, you're looking for a way to improve your health, then go check them out at devlifts.io. That's D-E-V-L-I-F-T-S dot I-O. David, do you want to start us off with picks?
3: Sure. Um, keep it simple today. Uh, one pick. Uh, absolutely delighted with this tool. Uh, it's called Trifacta. It's been around for about five years. It comes out of Stanford. And what it's for is wrangling your data. So you've got a piece of data, it doesn't matter how ugly, and you just you throw it in this tool and you can interactively clean it. And then it produces a, a replayable uh, uh, set of operations that you can run on data. So you build these data pipelines in this tool. So there's a free personal edition, and just to give you a sense of things, I I went from a raw data source that usually would take me about eight, 10 hours to clean up, and I got from that to finalized um, report with histograms and data exploration all finished in 20 minutes yesterday. Um, So it's a real time space. It's called Trifacta. And uh, so it's a... The personal products free. And then if you want to go enterprise or, or professional, they, they charge quite a bit. But <laughs> so it's a great tool for productivity. And I find as a developer I, I have that task a lot.
0: Awesome. Dave, what are your picks?
2: All right. So I have three picks, I'll make them quick. One is a game for uh mobile devices called Strike Force. It's a Marvel superhero killed the bad guys game, and you can collect Uh, Captain America, Iron Man, all the cool heroes and villains. And my son and I love playing it together. He's three and he just loves seeing people getting shot and stuff. So uh, that's one pick. And then uh, I used to race cars. I don't know if you knew that about me, but I recently got a 2018 Civic Si, got back into, you know, tuning a bit. So I picked up a Hondata, which is a company that sells uh, flashing software and hardware to modify your ECU air fuel ratios and curves and stuff. So picked up one of those. Um, Loving it so far. And my third one is a uh, site called Mockaroo, and it allows you to generate a CSV of fake data. So if you need to generate 500 rows of a spreadsheet of fake data that you can then use to import into your application or whatever for testing, uh, it makes it really simple and quick and easy to do.
0: Nice. Very cool. Um, I'm going to jump in with a few picks. Um, so I'm at ng um, which is the big Angular conference. Like I said, you can go see the videos on YouTube. They'll, they should be up by the time this episode's live. But yeah, I've, I've wound up uh, getting some new equipment just to do some of the recording. One of them is, so when I did this for ng-atlanta, I had a different camera. I actually have that camera here too. The problem was, was that the sound input was really, really terrible and it didn't have an uh, external sound input. And so I found another package on Amazon that actually cost me about $50 less than the package that just gave me that camera. And this package included a camera with a wide angle lens. If you're not familiar with the wide angle lens, it's almost like zooming out just a little bit. In fact, usually when you zoom out, you're using a wide angle lens, but it's not, a, it's not hundred percent the same thing. Uh, anyway, so it comes with a wide angle lens so I can just have it set up on the table. I'm sitting in a conference room right now at the grand America hotel in Salt Lake. And yeah, it's probably three feet or so from where I'm going to be interviewing people, just sitting and interviewing people. And uh, it looks like it, it works pretty well as far as the angle goes. It also came with an external boom mic, which is kind of the mic that looks like if you if you close your hand except for your uh, pointer finger, the microphone's basically your finger. So whatever you point it at is what it's going to pick up. Um, And that that it was just nice that it came with that. What that means to me though is that if I want to use a different system, for example, I have a Zoom H6 um, that I have microphones hooked up to. I have sure SM58s that are hooked up to that. I've had those for a while. I can actually run the the audio out from that. Into the audio in on the camera, and then it's getting the same quality sound that I'm getting on my high quality audio recording. And so that, that's exciting. You know, the, the audio quality can, can do real well there, and it just seems to be really well put together. Also, I ran across um, one other thing, and that was that uh, I, had, I had a tripod and uh, part of it broke uh, when I was doing the other recording. And so uh, I wound up hooking up. It was like nine bucks. I got a tripod off of Amazon and it works great. And so, you know, sometimes I'm I'm the kind of person that just wants to fix stuff. But uh, in this case, it worked out terrific where I could just get one for relatively cheap. And then my last pick, I just bought myself a new van. It's a full, full size, full length van. It's the Chevy G series van. Now this one Uh, Just to give a little bit of context, the truck I was driving before that was a 1995 Dodge Dakota, and the predominant color on it was rust. Um, (laughs) Anyway, the thing that I really loved about it was just that it worked and I had a truck. Well, my dad's been going through a bunch of health issues, and he can't actually put any weight on one of his feet, and he can only put a little bit of weight on the other foot for medical reasons. And so we basically, my mom uh, drove him over to my sister's house for dinner on Sunday and uh, we basically had to lift him out of the car and then lift him back in, which wasn't easy because it's one of those low sitting cars. But at the same time, you know, it does make it easy to get him in too. So uh, on Facebook Marketplace, if you're looking for like kind of a classifieds place that's different from Craigslist, um, what I found is the Craigslist ads and here in Salt Lake, we also have KSL classifieds and KSL is the local NBC affiliate. Those expire after like 30 days but the stuff on Facebook marketplace doesn't expire until they market sold or take it down. And so, uh, I ran across, uh, this van and it has a wheelchair lift in it, you know, so I can just push buttons and, you know, I wheel him onto it, push buttons and he's in my van. And yeah, I wound up getting it for $1,500. It's a 20 year old van. So what do you expect? Right. But, uh, anyway, um, it's a terrific place to find stuff if you're looking for it. Yeah, so anyway, I've got some other stuff, kind of nostalgic stuff that I got since we cleaned out my dad's dental office and found all his video games, but I'll talk about that next week. Luca, what are your picks?
1: Yeah, my picks are about my three interests of, uh, that I have currently. One is uh, cooking. Um, I, ha- I want to suggest this uh, uh, online community and uh, iOS app that's called Tasty. And testy veg because I'm vegetarian. So there are push notifications of happening in uh, in the middle of the m- the middle of the morning. Just you know with testy recipes, and it makes me hungry before lunchtime or dinner time. But I have to just if you are looking for new ideas, the second one is a book. It's called The Daily Stoic by uh, Ryan Holiday, and I'm reading through this book. There is a, a a quote from uh, Stoic philosophers for uh, each day of the of the year, uh, plus one for leap years. And I, in general, I'm stu- studying uh, Stoic philosophy and it's helping a lot uh, in my life but, um, in general. And the third one is a piece of hardware that I recently both, and re- by recently I mean last week, for electronic music, uh, which is my new my new hobby. It's called... Um, Digitakt it's produced by a company a Swedish company named Electron and my main reason I want to get back to music is to stay away from my computer but then I realized that uh, electronic music now is made with computers and I hated to sit more hours here in uh, to do work and then music so I got this Piece of hardware, which is brilliant and completely replaces uh, the computer in my, in my workflow. And it's just great.
0: Awesome. Luca, if people want to uh, follow you on Twitter or Facebook or read blogs or anything like that, where do they go? Um,
1: my website is lucaguidi.com. And uh, over Twitter, I'm Jodosha, which is J O D O S H A. Yeah those main those two two places over the internet and GitHub is the I have the same uh, username over GitHub
0: awesome very cool well I don't think there's anything else so we'll go ahead and wrap this up thanks everyone for coming thank you this has been great alright we'll catch everybody next week bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly the world's fastest CDN deliver your content fast with Cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y dot com to learn more